Thank you, Caitlin, and thank you to all those other members of our church family involved in that kids' talk. Uh, we're coming to look at, in more detail at this psalm now. So I invite you, if you have Bibles, to get them open to Psalm 103, and we uh, will be diving into that together now. Let's, let's pray to begin. Almighty God, please help us to understand the extent of your forgiveness and to live our lives accordingly. Amen. Well, my name's Ed Lone. I'm a member of our 9am congregation uh, here at Camaray. Uh, in my day job, I look after a, a college at the University of Sydney uh, where university students live. Uh, really, it's uh, the way that university students keep their hours. It's more of a day-night job. Uh, it seems a bit relentless. But uh, one of the things about being uh, the head of a college is that we uh, have... Uh, building programs and things like that. And a couple of years ago, we built uh, two new buildings which involved uh, uh, the tennis courts that existed being uh, knocked down and they, they were going to be moved. But one of the issues that was raised at the council when uh, these buildings were uh, going to be built was the fact that these tennis courts uh, had been built as a result of a bequest. Uh, many years ago, uh, someone had donated... Uh, a large portion of their estate and a couple of million dollars it had been in the early 1990s, a very large sum, and the tennis courts had been named in their honour and there had been a pavilion built and we were going to knock them down. So the council tasked me to speak with the family uh, of this uh, person who had left the money and I did. I showed them the tennis courts and the new buildings that were going to be built. We had lunch. I showed them where the new courts were going to be built, where the new pavilion was going to be named uh, in the person's father's honour. And uh, the person said to me at the end, he said, you know, uh, the college has always been very good at thanking us, my, my father's widow and our family, for the bequest that he received. And, and uh, he, was, he was responding so gratefully that uh, the college had done this. And um, I hadn't been involved for most of those years, but continually the college had kept them uh, informed and given them thanks and honoured the person who had um, made the bequest to the college. Now, uh, one of the things that uh, I wonder is how good we are as God's people at saying thank you to God for the good things that he has done for us, for honouring him and for praising him. Because really, this psalm uh, encourages us to live lives like that. Lives that honour and praise and thank God. Uh, this Psalm 103 is a psalm of David. And uh, he was king about a thousand years before Jesus lived, about 3,000 years ago in Israel. And he writes this psalm. And he begins by saying, praise the Lord, my soul. It's like a bit of self-talk. I, 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 help me to praise God, he's saying to himself. A little bit like Leighton Hewitt in a game of tennis. Come on, I should praise the Lord. Uh, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Genuinely praising God is what I should be doing. Uh, and verse 2, praise the Lord, my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Uh, what are the benefits that we receive? I was just having a conversation yesterday with some friends about government benefits. There's lots of them around at the moment. 
and we were discussing a little bit about the morals of uh, accepting these benefits, especially if you don't necessarily need them. Uh, there's been a lot of press about this recently with companies getting JobKeeper and then posting record profits and so on. Uh, and whether that's the right thing to do, you might be entitled to it, but do you really need it? And so on. Uh, in Australia, uh, we have these wonderful benefits uh, for people, but also there's a little bit of negative connotation that goes along with being on benefits as well. Uh, you might have heard the phrase, a, a dull bludger or something like that. Someone who just relies on somebody else, the government, entirely and doesn't uh, look after themselves. Well, what we learn from the Bible is that as God's people, we need to be recipients of divine benefits. We need to be bludgers on God's mercy. That's the heart of the Christian faith, and there's no way to life and eternal life and relationship with God without receiving divine benefits, those things from him. And we have King David here saying, well, let me not forget those benefits. And this is a guy who was the celebrity of his day. He was living the high life in lots of ways. Uh, what would he be giving thanks for? I wonder what you give thanks for when you think of what God has done for you. Uh, we, in our family, we say thanks for the food that we receive. Uh, sometimes in our prayers, we might thank God for our, our house that we live in, our relationships, and so on. King David had lots to give thanks for. He could have given thanks for victories, for palaces, for wealth, for wisdom. What does he give thanks for? What's the first thing that he gives thanks for? Verse 3, the benefit that he has received, God who forgives all your sins. Number one benefit that this king who has received so much gives thanks for is forgiveness of sins. David, yes, he was, a, he was a good king, but he was a flawed person like all of us are. He knew that he was a sinner and he knew that he could not do anything in terms of his relationship with God and receiving blessing from God without having his sins forgiven. And as this psalm goes on, it unpacks what it means to be a forgiven sinner, what that means for you and what it means for me and what it meant for King David all those years ago. But the point here, number one benefit of all the things that God has given is forgiveness of sins. Uh, David, you might remember, he wrote that psalm, Psalm 51, uh, upon um, realising his sinfulness, where he comes to God, acknowledging his faults, knowing that he has not lived the way that he ought to have lived uh, before God. And here, you see him realise and acknowledge that God's forgiveness is full and profound. Uh, it's not uh, a good behaviour bond. It's not uh, a, a, a good works order that you have to... Uh, you, know, you, you, can, you can be free for a while. It's a full pardon being let off. And we see that uh, as the psalm goes on. Uh, in these verses following, David outlines other, other benefits and we see uh, in, the, in the verbs that he uses just how uh, wonderful and 
uh, wide the scope is. Uh, He forgives, he heals, he redeems your life from the pit. Uh, Redemption from the grave there, here in the Old Testament. Of course, uh, when talking about redemption, it would capture in people's minds what God did for his people, bringing them out of slavery. But he's talking about uh, resurrection from the pit. Uh, And that is only possible because of God's kindness to us. Uh, We, of course, know that God has achieved this through Christ's resurrection for us and the redemption that has been won for us through his death on the cross. A wonderful benefit from God. He forgives, he heals, he redeems, he crowns you with love and compassion. This is a a king who wore a crown uh, as part of his general attire. That's pretty cool. But that's not the crown that he's thanking God for. He's thanking God for a crown of love and compassion that God has given him, uh, who satisfies your desires with good things. So often in life, we're searching for satisfaction and we search for satisfaction in places where it is fleeting at best, uh, whether it's in our career or in our family or in our uh, uh, pleasures. We look for, for satisfaction and we invest in these areas uh, where uh, when, once we get there, we get to uh, the, the money, the superannuation and so on, but it passes so quickly and we, we seek, have to seek for it even further. But the satisfaction that God gives is lasting, everlasting, as we get to have a relationship with him and restored relationships with others. Now, these are the benefits that David is unpacking here. And he goes on to say, uh, verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Uh, We're talking about God's character here. He is a good God. He looks out for people. And then verse 7, he makes his ways known. Uh, he, He reveals himself to us. He didn't have to do that, but he's done that for his people. And then from verse 8 onwards, We get to see the character of God. God's character, of course, is revealed in what he's done, these things that we've been talking about, but it shows who he is. And what he does, what he does because of who he is. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Often uh, when somebody does something to us that offends us, we are quick to respond in anger. I know that... Uh, I can be like this. Uh, I get an email that I find offensive and the the rage uh, builds up uh, within me and I am quick to respond in anger. But not so with God. He is slow to anger. And then verse 9, he will not always accuse nor will he harbour his anger forever. He's slow to anger but he's quick to stop being angry. Two sides of the coin. And, and this is great news. Uh, often God is characterized as an angry God. But actually, anger is an alien trait of God. Uh, he's not, not like love, which is an eternal aspect of God. God's anger only uh, arises because of the offense of sin. And he is slow to anger and quick to stop being angry we see in these verses. 
It is, it is great news for us. Often people characterise the God of the Old Testament as an angry God, whereas the God of the New Testament is a God of love. But we see absolutely not in this passage. From eternity to eternity, God is a God of compassion and grace, who is slow to anger. He forbears the great offences that people commit against him. And then we go on to see in verse 10, he does not treat us as our sin deserves. One of the great problems that we have as people is that we do not take our sin as seriously as it should be taken, as seriously as it actually is. Uh, he does not repay us according to our iniquities. Uh, our iniquities deserve divine judgment. And, and we belittle them because we have a skewed perspective. But we ought to understand how offensive our sin is because of who God is that we're sinning against. So uh, by way of analogy, we know that uh, the offence that's committed, the seriousness of it, is, a, is associated with the dignity of the one who is offended against. So um, to, to kill a mosquito is, is no offence at all. In fact, um, because a mosquito is just such a terrible kind of insect, it's quite a good thing to do that. Of course, then to kill a dog, well, that's a bad thing. You'll get into quite a bit of trouble. To kill a human, a very serious thing indeed. Now, to offend in open rebellion against the God of all glory, the creator of all universe, there is no bigger offence that humans can do. And yet that is what we do to our Lord and God. And yet he forgives us. Uh, when David began outlining his benefits, his first one was that God forgives our sins. Here in the centre of the psalm, we get the unpacking of that forgiveness. He does not repay us according to our iniquity. And then he gives this picture of infinite distance uh, to highlight God's love and forgiveness. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us, our sins from us. He's taken them away. And this picture of infinite distance. Uh, and uh, just as a, a point I, I read during the week that uh, has stuck with me, it's interesting that east-west, it is an infinite distance. If you start heading east, you just can keep going east forever. Unlike north-south, I'm not sure David had this in mind, but if you head north, you'll get to a point where you hit the North Pole and you'll start heading south again. It's not an infinite distance. But there's this picture of infinite distance from the east to the west. Uh, just keep going as far as our sins are removed from us. Now, why is this important? Well, often we don't feel forgiven like that. Often we know our failures and our wrongs that we've done. They lurk in the background and we feel that they might come back to haunt us. Um, in my role, uh, when somebody gets in trouble, I, I write them a little letter saying, you, you know, do some hours in the garden or something like that. 
and this will be kept on your file. And that's a little bit of a nervous thing for them. It'll be kept on their file. Now, what, what that actually means, you know, in the long term, probably not that much. But we feel like this about our sin, don't we? That it might just come back to us. Uh, one of my memories as a child was uh, you would swim at Bondi Beach and they had um, pipes with sewage that flowed out into the ocean. And uh, when the currents were in a certain direction or the wind was blowing some way, they'd have to close the beach because um, the, the sewage was kind of coming back onto the shore. And then I remember they extended the pipes to make them longer. But even then, at certain points, the, the, the water um, quality would, would be no good because the sewage was, was coming back into shore. And... Uh, now, uh, for all those who go to the beach, I think they've removed these pipes out to the ocean. But it, sometimes we can feel like that about our sin. We, we remember those events in our life that are particularly repulsive to us, let alone to God, and we think maybe they'll, they'll come back to haunt us. But this verse, as far as the east is from the west... Uh, Sewage might be flowing out at Bondi Beach, but we're swimming in the nice waters of Fremantle, if we could uh, get across there with the COVID restrictions. But as far as the east is from the west, so far they are removed from us. These won't come back uh, to haunt us at all. And so we need to acknowledge that ourselves and not live in a perpetual state of guilt because of previous sins committed. So he gives this wonderful image of infinite distance uh, in terms of forgiveness. And then he goes on to another image of a family relationship. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Now, it was Father's Day a couple of weeks ago. Get a lot of lovely cards at Father's Day. Um, but of course, as a father, uh, you love your children, You'd do anything for them. You'd put up with all kinds of things that you wouldn't put up with ordinary people. Children have access to a father that other people don't have. And, and, and fathers want to do what is best for their children, even at their own discomfort and so on. So a, a child might uh, come into the bedroom in the middle of the night, you're in sound asleep, they've had a bad dream. Well, you bring them into the bed and... Uh, it surprises you that, you know, most people sleep vertically in the bed, but the child, no, it likes to sleep horizontally and it likes to take the blankets and it likes to kick you in the back while it's sleeping. And so you're lying shivering on the edge of the bed, about to fall off, but you do it because of your compassion and your love for the child. Of course you do. And as the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. It's a wonderful, wonderful image. One of my favourite stories that Jesus told is in Luke 15, often called the parable of the prodigal son. I like to think of it as the parable of the loving, compassionate father. You might be familiar with it. A son, a father has two sons. The younger son asks for his share of the inheritance and they would have been living in a rural setting uh, and the father, this was, this was a great offence. It was, it was like saying, I'll have all your stuff, 
but I don't want anything to do with you. In fact, when do you get your inheritance? You get it when someone dies. Dad, I wish you were dead, is what the son says to his father. Tremendously offensive, particularly in that culture of honour and shame. And yet the father gives him his share of the inheritance. And, and whether that's a few paddocks from the farm, he divides it up, uh, which would have cost the family their income and so on, he does it anyway. And what does the son do? Liquidates the assets, sells it, and goes off to a foreign country. Perhaps a, a, a piece of land that had been in the family for generation after generation. Offence upon offence, and then he squanders the money. And over in this far-off country, uh, his life spirals out of control. And it's a, it's a terrible picture of what sin does. It ruins our lives. It's a great offence to God, and it ruins our lives. And the son realises this as he's sitting in the, 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 the pig pen, a, a Jewish boy wishing he could eat the food that the pigs, the unclean swine, have to eat, the lowest of the low, and then he comes to his senses and he says, I'll, I'll return to my father and, and I'll say, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Well, he was right about that. His offence had rendered him no longer worthy to be called his son. Uh, let me be one of your hired helpers. And he returns home. And then this remarkably moving picture. You can imagine the father, the old man, the lines on the face tell the story of the offence, uh, the shame that he's born because of his son's behaviour, sitting on the balcony on the rocking chair or something like this, and he sees this character coming towards him in the distance. Who's that coming across the fields? Perhaps they're the fields that were liquidated so that his son could squander the family inheritance. And there he is coming across. How will the father react? He realises that it's his son. And Jesus says his heart was filled with compassion and he ran to meet him. Old men don't run in this culture. Have you ever seen the queen run? That's about the same kind of level of likelihood of seeing an old man run in this culture. But this father runs to his son, embraces him, kisses him, puts the family signet ring on his finger, puts the robe on his back, puts shoes on his feet and kills the fattened calf. The compassion and love of God's forgiveness is on show for the world. The one who's been most offended against uh, is, is there for all to see. Uh, he knows how we're formed. The psalm goes on to say in verse 14, uh, it's even more profound because of, of who we are. And it points out that we are but dust. We really are worthless. I don't know uh, if you ponder this much, but uh, we live in a house that um, was built in 1881. And there's been so many people that have lived in this house before us. And most of them are unknown to, to me or to our family. The people that have been in those bedrooms before, um, who are they? It was their space. It was their house. But they are no more. It's not theirs anymore. And so it is with all of us. We're here for a moment. And yet, even though the wind blows over it and it's gone, their place is remembered no more. Verse 17, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. Even though our life is so finite, finite and in the scheme of things, is worthless because of the Lord's love 
We are given a dignity and a place for all eternity in God's kingdom because of his profound forgiveness for us. It's a great picture. Now, there was an add-on in the uh, grand final last night. It's been around for a little while of, of a child who loses their bunny and they're driving a Toyota um, ute. And uh, they go back and search all over the place for this bunny. And, and it struck me watching this ad um, that what's, what's so important about that bunny? Uh, it's a, just a cheap, soft toy. You could get another one. No, the importance of the bunny is bestowed upon it because of the love of the child to that bunny. They'll search high and low, far and wide for that bunny, not because the bunny has an inherent value itself, but because the child loves the bunny so much it is given value. And so it is with us. Um, We are but dust. Our lives are fleeting. We think we're big in the world, but soon we'll be remembered no more. Even the, the first residents of our house, probably the, the sandstone of their etching on their gravestone is eroded. That's how quickly it happens. And yet God's love gives us a dignity and a place that lasts from everlasting to everlasting. It is a profound thing. And if you are going through this lockdown and you're away from relationships, you're feeling lonely and you're feeling... a a, a bit worthless, know this, God's love for you through his forgiveness of your sins, through his giving of his son, through your redemption from the grave is profound and gives you an eternal significance. There is nothing better than that. Nothing better than that. Not something inherent in you, but because of his great love. And so these are the reasons that God has given to Uh, the benefits that God has given to his people. They're the reasons that we ought to have to praise him. And David finishes the psalm by by speaking about the Lord who's established his throne forever. That's who God is. He's such a good God and he's given us all these things. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, the angels. Praise the Lord, the servants. Praise the Lord, the heavenly hosts. Uh, All creation, all the works ought to be praising the Lord. And then he finishes, praise the Lord, my soul. That self-talk, if I remember his benefits, well, then I will praise and honour and thank him as I should. Uh, I began with that story of the uh, child of the person who'd given the bequest to the college. He was saying, the college has done this for the last 25 years and and thanked and and honoured my father. He was saying that in his father's bequest... Uh, he'd divided this, this uh, pot of, of money three ways. He'd given a third to the college, a third to a, an Anglican school, and a third to an Anglican parish in this diocese. And he was saying that the college had, had continually thanked and honoured. He said, we never heard a thing from the other two. Not even, not even a note <laughs> to acknowledge that it had been received. It had certainly been received. But the widow, the family, the solicitor never got an acknowledgement. And I I don't say that to say, wow, the college is really good. But it just, it struck me as how odd that was to have received so much and yet not to acknowledge it, not to honour it, not to be thankful for it. 
Well, if that's the case in, in the terms of a, of a bequest, well, how much more so in the terms of forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life that results from it, and being part of God's kingdom? Praise the Lord, my soul. What else could we do but praise the Lord? Let's pray together. Almighty God, we do thank you so much for these benefits given so freely to us, for forgiveness of sins and all that that entails, that they are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. Father, we pray that we will not forget these benefits and we pray that you will help us to praise you from our inmost beings all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.